Hey folks, welcome to Narratives. Narratives is a podcast exploring the ways in which the world is better than in the past, the ways it is worse, and the paths towards a better, more definite vision of the future. I'm your host, Will Jarvis, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can find show notes, transcripts, and videos at narrativespodcast.com. Grant, how are you doing today? Hey, how you doing? Well, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to, to come on the show. Um, could you kick us off and just kind of give us a brief bio and some of the big ideas you're interested in? Yeah, so my name is Grant Dever. Uh, I'm from Rochester, New York, and I currently live in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm the author of Lead the Future, Strategies and Systems for Emerging Leaders, which is a you know kind of self-help book targeted at uh, mostly students and other young adults trying to level up their leadership game. Um, I co-founded a startup incubator at my alma mater, the University of Rochester, targeted at the undergraduate population there, which is you know some of the where I got a lot of the material for the book. Um, and then I would say that as far as big ideas, I'm, I've mostly been uh, diving very deep into nuclear energy and nuclear energy policy, uh, Bitcoin, um, just everything Bitcoin's a giant rabbit hole. You know, it, a, every time you think you're like, I get it, I understand everything, you find, you find more. Um, and then uh, community building and its decline. Those are all the kinds of things that I'm very interested in. I love that. I love that. Lots to unpack. Um, but the decline of community, you know, I, I, I have a feeling this is a very real phenomenon. Uh, you know, even if you just look at, uh, you know, PT, PTA participation, you know, since the 60s, like just been on this huge decline. Uh, people like don't get together very much at all, especially, you know, with COVID nowadays, you know, it's like even explicitly banned. Uh, so has there been like some big decline in community? Am I, am I sensing this correctly? And, and if so, like, like, what can we even do about it at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's definitely real. I haven't, I haven't seen anyone even argue that it's not real. So I guess that's the, that's the ultimate contrarian take. People <laughs> are actually not alienated. They're not lonely. Um, you know, that's if Very you can make that now, happen, yes. there's there's something for you there. Um, but yeah, I would say it's uh, so. So one thing that immediately pops in mind when you say that is uh, especially bringing up COVID is yeah. I just think we have such a and obviously this isn't, you know, to like decline in the 80s or 90s obviously the internet is not as as large of a contributing factor there um but especially as the internet has developed in video games and all this you know wonderful consumer technology that i've been addicted to at various points in my life um you know one thing uh one little anecdote is like when i co-founded this incubator iZone at the university of rochester you know we were trying to help students to you know whatever their idea was it could be uh you know, creative project, just artistic, it could be nonprofit, it could be a business, you know, we were really agnostic, it was about very early stage things, you know, so we had this 12,000 square foot space in the library, all these desks, you know, we just want and, and we, we built it from nothing, there was nothing there, there was just sentiment that students growing up watching Shark Tank, you yeah. know, the social network, all this, they wanted some space to find other uh, like minded entrepreneurs. And uh, we had this one student who, you know, took an interest very early. And he had already started a business just repairing people's phones on campus. And he, um, you know, so he had that and he was just like, hey, could I like 
have a table where I can meet my clients and, you know, maybe do a little marketing in the space and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we were still figuring out like uh, what our policies would be. And we initially were like, yeah, totally. That's fine. Which, right. Like yeah, he's a student. Sure. Yeah, he already absolutely. has a business. He wants to, it's amazing. Like yes. students have a problem. He has skills. He solves it for them. Yeah. Amazing. But, uh, and then some of our compatriots uh, in, in, you know, uh, uh, fellow um, higher education administrators uh, informed us that we probably couldn't do that because uh, the university's like non-for-profit status could like maybe be in jeopardy. I, I like, I kind of understand why that rule exists. Like if the federal government and some donor like kick yeah. in for some, you know, really expensive uh, capital that then you can use, you, you know, you can't just like let your friend use it on the weekend right. to, to run a business and, and, you know, an extremely profitable, you know, high tech business. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, that just seemed like kind of a glimmer uh, or, you know, so in, in juxtaposition, like a student comes in, you know, let's just pretend that uh, I don't even know what, what a good startup is started by students, but, you know, some crypto, you know, startup had come yeah. in and they were like, you know, coding in this at the same table that I would have gotten the student. They're coding there. They like write all the contracts. They create all the marketing. They're running their discord. They launch, you know, ICO territory, whatever, back when I'm in there. Yeah. And they just become like a millionaire with this like business, whatever. That would have been totally fine. Like there would have been no way in which we could have like known that was going on. So like in some ways, like these rules, which make sense, have like criminalized in-person commerce um, and like really made it difficult for people to actually engage and do things in the real world. And then I, I think with, you know, the something I, I've written a little bit about, I don't remember the name. Uh, I don't remember exactly the name of the, the, the piece, but uh, you know, I'm kind of worried and in some place, like it really depends, like with COVID restrictions really matters where you, where you live, yeah. obviously, um, especially now. But uh, you know, I, I do have some worry that as, as alienated as people are, and they don't uh, have these things or ha have a community, um, we're actually uh, adding so much friction that we're actually going to kill it even more. Cause like we went from being like, oh yeah, you can't engage in these commerce to be like, you can't actually meet. Actually meeting is, is not, allowed. not allowed. And like yeah. someone's gonna come stop that. And obviously they're, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't know all the specifics, I'm, uh, but I, I think it, there is a question of, of uh, are we going, you know, we all have to take our shoes off the airport you know, what are going to be the residuals um, from kind of, you know, the, the pandemic and to what extent are those going to, you know, further undermine community, I think is a, a huge question. So what to do about it is, is kind of a whole, whole separate piece. Um, I, I personally am just trying to do my own little part by, you know, being an active member of, of communities in various ways, both online and then especially in person. Um, and I, you know, I, I want to be writing more about this, this subject, but in general, trying to help people um, to, to do that as well. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of little things you can do to, to build community. I think um, community is kind of all about doing those things that don't scale um, gotcha. because you can't, you can't be, it's, I think it's, uh, I forget, uh, Drucker, the effective executive, he's like, you know, you can't be efficient with people, you know, and I, I think right. that's, that's kind of like the same thing. So any other questions? But yeah, that's my kind of like overview thoughts. Gotcha, gotcha. So it seems like a, 
like like a really difficult challenge then you know like how do you instill like you know community like in, in american life again you know encourage people to kind of you know people don't join their social clubs like social clubs like kiwanas and all these uh uh, Roritan and like that was very common like when I was growing up you know like that just doesn't happen anymore like th these places uh don't really exist it's part of that you know like we've got the internet you know so I can like find my super niche like interesting like thing like we met 1570 fun reading group you know and like there's no one within like 50 miles that's interested in that reading group except for me that would read these like you know texts and, and talk about them and so like i go on the internet and i can meet like-minded people like you and we can talk about them is it, is part of that like you know it, that kind of crowds out like your local like you've got to you know hang out with my local people here in durham but you know if the local yokels aren't you know grant so it's just like like less interesting is that I, yeah i think i think to some degree it's um like that's certainly happening i don't know how true it is you know like that's that's kind of the question is yeah. like um, is you get to, you get to this point where it's like well it's obviously a lot easier to do that to some degree right. maybe not a specific group or something on the internet that might not be possible yeah. but it's easier to coordinate even just now okay let's hop on zoom like that's yeah. less logistically complex than like you only fly to north carolina yeah, to your, in a studio yeah. um so but i think on the other hand is like there's definitely a, a lot like I, I think we're uh this was something which i uh, which which came up in, in one of the readings we did, which was Dark Age Ahead by Jane Jacobs, which I highly recommend to everyone. It was, uh, I don't know, really depressing, but also incredibly insightful. Um, and, you know, so she kind of defines, uh, so one, one of the arguments she makes in there is that, um, you know, Google and, you know, the internet broadly, Wikipedia are not going to prevent a dark age because a lot of the knowledge that's um, important, uh, which, you know, is lost and leads to a dark age is actually that knowledge, which is which is shared peer to peer, like embodied, uh, you know, how to do X, Y, Z specific thing. Um, and one of the things that she that she talks about um, in there is, is that in a dark age, obviously, you you've forgotten something, uh, or society, your civilization has forgotten something. And because you've forgotten it, you you don't, you don't know what it is. Right. So you can't, so, so with that, I, I kind of think we're at a point where lots of people have never lived in a community. I actually feel very fortunate that um, I grew up in like a small town with a clear community and, you know, that does, it does have its like problems. Um, but I think at the same time, uh, you know, I know what that is and, and I feel actually at this point, very blessed to have it. So growing up, I was like, why do we live here? Why do we live in the middle of nowhere? It doesn't make any sense. And, and I, I felt that way for a while. And that's actually something I, I kind of changed my mind about because I feel like now I, I understand kind of the small town, you know, residual of what was a community life. Um, and I understand obviously like uh, megatropolis, you know, mass culture life as well. Kind of like these these, these hard trade-offs, right? Between these two, it's like, you know, and, and how do you get such a more, more uh, optimal uh, outcome there? I, I'm curious, you know, uh, did you grow up in Rochester or you just go to the University of Rochester? I, I grew up in a, okay. a small town, uh, like 25 minutes away from Rochester called gotcha. uh, Honeyway Falls. Okay. So yeah. in the area though. So, you know, Ro I think of Rochester, I think of Kodak. I think of like, you know, the decline, this like great American company. Um, and, and it feels like, you know, a lot of these things, uh, all, all, they all run back to like 1971, right? So, you know, the uh, community is getting hollowed out, uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, housing prices shooting up, all essential goods shooting up, you know, I, 
where do you come down on on what happened in 1971 do you think there's like a cultural problem do you think it's uh you know just we've used up all the low-hanging fruit like like what do you think about this at the end of the day like if, if i had to push you on it because yeah like, really hard i think yeah I, I i don't think there's an easy answer um i tried to like sum it up and i i'm like like think, thinking about this at the end of our reading group and yeah i, I think there's just there's no way to talk about it without kind of rambling a little bit. So right. I'll just say that, um, you know, I do disagree with people who attribute it all to the end of the gold standard. You know, even if right. I do think there, there's there are arguments about the merits of having a hard money, uh, hard money to measure against. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that that's uh, even probably the, the, the like, like that's probably a second order effect, you know, yeah. is what I would say. Um, I think a lot of it, and I don't know, a lot of it seems to be a function of education. And with that um, kind of like morals and, and values um, in the sense that like, uh, so, so the piece of like, why would that have happened in 1971? I think it could be a function of how higher education uh, ballooned as far as um, the amount of people enrolled, as well as it's kind of like social status um, in like following, uh, you know, the poor post-war years so like that those chickens kind of like came to roost in 1971 and then like I because I think a lot of the problems that we're living in right now are really kind of a function of like a mis mismatch between um you know kind of like humans like human capabilities and the things that we need done um you know so there are a lot of people who get paid insane amounts of money to do good jobs but then there are also like all these great jobs that just are like which are really even like uh, robust against um, technological advancement, like uh, plumbing and and all these jobs, which are tough for sure. Um, yeah. But we don't even like people don't even know how to do those things. Um, and and more importantly, which is not their fault, but like more importantly, you used to be able to go to school and you know to some degree maybe you get like tracked into like hey you're not going to college, buddy. You know, right. but you know like it seems like you like to work with cars. You know we're going to train you as part of your public education. And then when you're 18, you're going to be making like 50 grand a year. And it's like, yeah, if you ask yeah. a lot of people, if they could be making $25 an hour when they were 18, they'd be like, yeah, I yeah. probably wouldn't have gone to college, you know, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. like, whether or not that's the like right choice. Like yeah. there are so many people in our world who would, who would say that. And if you don't know any of them, you're, you know, in a bubble. Um, yeah, and, I, and I think so. So I think some of that's like the the second order effects of of that. Also, like to, to some of these questions where people are like, um, why aren't things still like why aren't these economic factors still the same way uh, as they used to be? Like, why can't a family yeah. do this or whatever? Um, all great questions. You know, I, I find them very interesting. But I, I think there's also a, a portion of this that's just like, you know, the macro environment is just completely different, like certain right. policy things you could do like you can't do anymore because it's not like America is the only place with capital and like intelligent people. Like there's lots of capital. There's, there's no shortage of capital. Yes. There's lots of intelligent <laughs> people to do everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's, there's lots of intelligent, competent people. Um, so, you know, we're just in a different competitive environment and, you know, people can, can, you know, there are lots of specific trade-offs in there. And that, and then I think th that part does kind of tie back in, to the education where you do have this like kind of stratification of like people who are like, oh, I'm the elite and I deserve everything. And they kind of um, operate from like either a more, like either a more kind of like class-based analysis or like just a raw individual or like familial analysis. 
but either way, none of this is, is comparable to kind of like, you know, if you, if you had an economy, which was more localized, I'm not saying it's not saying it all should be, but if you had an economy that's more localized, like people might be like, Oh, how is this going to impact the community? You know, now yeah, you have right. some, you have like maybe small examples of that where people are like, you can't, you know, this company can't abuse those workers. That means that like, you know, no one's going to be there to pick up those kids from school or something like that. Like you get like little glimpses of that, but that kind of like analysis and, and framework was, was probably a lot more common. And, and now that that's just like, not really a thing. It's like not, not in the equation, not factor in the equation. I, I, I'm so curious, you know, one of my friends, he's an electrician and recently shared something with me. He said they're, they're in North Carolina, where I live, there are more uh, licensed electricians over 80 than under 35. You know, and it's just like this crazy thing. But but at the same time, like I, I am struck by the fact it seems like the the status penalty is a lot higher than it was in like 1960, 1970. Do you, do you get that feeling as well? Like, you know, like trades work is somehow like much more stigmatized than it was in the past? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of, it's all like, or maybe there's like a thing where um, we can measure ourselves against other people more more readily than we could like before. instagram I, I like think, you can see what's going on like yeah yeah i think that phenomena is just so real and and so toxic and and that's kind of why like I, and i think a lot of people are just kind of beat down because because of that or you know there's also ways for you to just like fall you know we all do it i've done it numerous times like fall in some kind of bubble where you're just barraged by the same you know messaging over and over again and then you're like oh my god i figured it out i understand the whole world and it's terrible you know and it's like yeah like even if that's true it's like okay well that's not fun what are you gonna do about it um so i i think there's there's you know like maybe the way out of that is to uh you know be like actually i think it's a lot higher status to go do that like when i hear people making different kind like kind of um different decisions that are that are paying them well and they're getting like hands-on experience and they're not necessarily just like going on the conventional like college college path even though yeah. you know it worked out fairly fairly well for me um so I, I you know can't can't knock it but i would say that um i think people taking those kinds of risks especially if they're like this is what i want to do i know what i want to do I, I respect that more than anything so i, I think in general regardless of what people want to do if they know they want to do something and they're really good at it and they're committed to it if if you're knocking them for that you're really being a jerk yeah. you know like just don't <laughs> don't do cool. that yeah, one of my one of my friends, he he like knew he wanted to be um like a BMX like bike rider yeah. like when he was like six or something, and he just spent all of his time doing that. And now he, you know, obviously, I'm sure there are lots of people who thought they were going to do the same thing and didn't go anywhere. But he, you know, actually does that professionally now. And like, I think he's by far one of my most successful friends. You know, I have no yeah. idea like what you know, how that pays or, or anything about the, the dynamics of that really, but like he did the thing that he wanted to is very niche. He yeah. didn't go to college yeah, and it's awesome. And it worked well. It worked well. Yeah. It seems like yeah. we'd, we'd be better served just to, to look around a little bit less and, and try and try and figure out, you know, what do we really want to do and, and try and go execute on that. Well, yeah, it's just easy think, advice to say, right. But like very difficult to execute on. <laughs> yeah. I've even found that um, in Rochester, it was, it was kind of easier to do that to, to some degree um, because I didn't really want to be doing any of the things that my friends were doing. So I didn't really copy them. Like I wasn't nice. interested in it, yeah. but then other things are 
you know, now being in Austin and being surrounded by people who are all doing these things where I'm like, oh, I can maybe do that or that's cool or I wish I had your lifestyle. Um, you know, the, like those temptations are much stronger. Um, so that's, and that's something that I really experienced in college as well. Um, especially if you just like select for like a certain type of like hard charging, you know, you know, people born with, you know, from parents who are very like elite kind of thing. It just like really compounds and like trickles down and you can create a culture where everyone's like, Maybe I also want to be an investment banker. And investment I'm like, I don't even know. So great. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know what that is. I still like, I kind of know what it is now, but like <laughs> at the time I was like, maybe I should get an internship in investment banking. And I was like, I don't actually know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's a great point, right? Like it's very bizarre how these things are driven. It's so weird. Um, I, I want to switch topics a little bit now. This left-hand turn, but, but Bitcoin, you know, you spent a lot of time with it. Uh, I'm curious, you know, to you, what is the bull case for Bitcoin? To me, it looks something like, you know, it's new economy gold or something like that. Uh, and that's a good reason to be, you know, long Bitcoin. And like, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think, I think um, essentially that's, that's like the thesis that I find most compelling as well is, um, you know, we still have essentially like, you know, the, the global market for Bitcoin somewhere around a trillion dollars. Global market of gold is around like 10, 11 trillion dollars, whatever it is, you know. Um, so we still have 10x from here. Um, yeah. In Austin, there are a lot of people who are kind of like radical Bitcoin bulls who think it's going to go much higher. Um, I, I love to listen to them talk about things, you know, and, 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 yeah. and there is yeah. a lot of technical development. It's kind of funny because, again, people get like stuck in their little echo echo chamber. And like if I wasn't surrounded by these people who are like working in Bitcoin, I wouldn't hear about any of the like little technical things either just because like most people don't care about that so they're not right, talking right, right. about it on the internet and, the, and they're not like oh we invented a whole new use for bitcoin it's like here's this thing which is going to enable this kind of service you know whatever like yeah. they're, they're building the fundamentals um but yeah i think i think bitcoin is uh strongly differentiated um you know no one is really trying to compete for its niche, it doesn't have like, you know, Ethereum kind of is to some degree with like the ultrasound money thing, but that's, it's not actually the same, the same thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried that that may be like an own goal. Um, I've, I've heard different arguments about it, but Ethereum has a lot of competitors and Bitcoin maybe has one or it has zero. Um, and that's, gotcha. that's kind of the thing there. Um, and I think that the, in general, um, you know, it, it made a lot of Bitcoin made a lot of trade-offs to be the most decentralized it could be, you know, so that everyone can run their own node. And that's why it has so few transactions per second. Um, you know, so, and, and then I think memetically it's kind of strongly differentiated in that, uh, it had by far the fairest launch, um, probably the fairest launch that will ever exist. Um, people who were mining Bitcoin were all just kind of random people who like stumbled upon this thing and were like, I'll run a weird software yeah. for internet money no one knew they were going to get rich this is evidenced by the fact that people uh traded you know what is now like billions of dollars of bitcoin for like a pizza or like yeah. you know weed or like whatever yeah, exactly. um so, so you know and even people who were early like you know if you bought in at ten dollars and you're like all right you know what i'm smart i'm just gonna buy 
I don't know, like a thousand Bitcoin or, you know, 10,000 of them. Yeah. And then I'm just going to hold it. Cause like, whatever, if I lose that money, it's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those people sold at like a hundred dollars yeah, or they exactly. sold at a thousand dollars or they, you know, but either way, like the idea that like all these people were early and they amassed it, of course, there are some people who did that. And some of them just got lucky that they like forgot yeah. about their Bitcoin. Forgot, forgot. <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's just like, it was extremely fair. Uh, memetically, it's just kind of brilliant. Like, I think it kind of, I, I, I need to write this piece, but I, I do think it kind of border borderlines on like a religion, but like in a, yeah. in a good way, um, in a way that feels good as an investor. Um, yeah, so, exactly. I, so, so, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm bullish on Bitcoin. I think it's, I think it's actually very interesting. And if you think it's just kind of boring, you probably haven't thought about it too much, or you're just, you know, extreme novelty brain and it's like yeah me too bro i, I feel you like no worries <laughs> i love that i love that well <laughs> if you if you don't mind me asking like percentage wise you know what does your portfolio portfolio look like in terms of bitcoin you know uh as far as far as crypto i'm i'm mostly in bitcoin just because i under like um and, and some of this is is memes but also yeah. like it's differentiated positioning um i just understand how to value it more um yeah. you know like it, it has a clear kind of thing. Like, I, I don't know what the valuation of Ethereum should be. I don't really have a good model for that. Obviously people are trying to create different ones and like, I probably don't own enough of it, you know, like, or, or I should have purchased more of it, like, you know, three years ago or whenever, yeah. when I was, when I was looking, looking into these things. Um, and I also wasn't particularly early or anything. Like I'm just like been stacking small amounts, like little nice. bit by little bit. So yeah, I'm mostly in Bitcoin and, and part of that just because I didn't, get lucky with any, you know, kind of yeah. altcoin. I've speculated like a little bit, but I'm also not a trader. It's like, that's yeah. the other thing. I, I, I also kind of like Bitcoin because it's just like, yeah, just buy a little bit, just buy a little bit and you don't have to trade it or yeah. anything. Just hold it. And, you know, don't, don't be overexposed. Uh, I may yeah. be a little bit overexposed right now, but you know, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> the way it goes, the way it goes. And I, I guess, I guess what I was asking is like, uh, in terms of overall portfolio, you know, is it like a quarter, half? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. so, so the other thing, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like more like a half, but some of that's just because gotcha. I like burned through my cash. Um, but I would say, <laughs> um, so I, you know, the last two years have been weird. Um, yeah. but I would say that, uh, I also do think it is, you know, there are not that many investments that like even really have kind of like a, a call for like a 10 X or whatever. Yeah. And I think Bitcoin is still kind of like the most de-risked of them. So if you are, are a young person, like you, you should have, I think you should have some exposure to, yeah. to digital assets in general. And I think Bitcoin is uh, the least it's risky good, yeah. of all of them in my a good choice. But. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that's, it definitely has the, the best case of, of the, the stuff that's out there. And there's a lot of, a lot of crap out there you gotta be worried about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's kind of like the, the, um, even if like, right. The, the maximalists have been wrong. Like you could argue at, at least in the, the time scale, yeah. like, you know, like who knows, like maybe they'll be more right in the future, but like in the time scale that they've operated in, obviously if you were just hundred percent Bitcoin and you like, didn't get exposure to any given asset, yeah. like, yeah, your net worth could be a lot higher. But like the other hand is like, there is a positive aspect of maximalism where if you uh, became a, a Bitcoin maximalist, like maybe you wouldn't have like lost all your money on some other coin and like you, you'd be doing fine if you had just bought Bitcoin. So like, the, so, so, so I kind of see the, the argument both ways. I'm, I'm not uh, a maximalist myself, but I, but I understand the, uh, the appeal. Very cool. Very cool. I love that. I love that. Um, nuclear energy. Very important. Solves like a lot of our energy problems for the future. Um, 
and it's technology that works today, but we just like, you know, it's just not allowed. Um, how did you get to start working in nuclear policy? And how's, I know you're new to it, uh, but, but how's the journey been so far? Yeah. So I'm, yeah. So my, my journey is kind of weird. Um, I, I, I definitely, like, I remember being interested in nuclear energy um, and I think getting more interested in it in 2016, it was actually part of um, Andrew Yang's um, oh, nice. plat- platform. So that was something where I was like, okay, like, let me look into this. I think I heard him talk about it a little bit. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, we need, we, we need all the, you know, low carbon, you know, energy that we can get, like makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'd heard people kind of like, I actually started reading this book uh, again, a couple of years ago, I didn't finish it called uh, physics for future presidents. And I remember nice. it all. That's kind excellent. Of like, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that a while back. Like, yeah. Yeah. It like kind of addresses like a lot of concerns about radiation and like all the kind of like basic things. Um, so, so anyway, I became interested in nuclear energy and then it really kind of accelerated over the last two years. Um, cause I became connected with my friend Emmett Penny, shout out to the nuclear barbarian himself. And, uh, he, um, I, I, you know, we, we connected to this uh, community that I, you know, joined in 2020 called IndieThinkers.org. And there I connected with Emmett and he was this cool guy. And we would just do these like uh, work sessions where we all hop on Zoom, you know, say what we're going to work on. And we just like sesh for like four hours. Um, and Emmett was kind of like falling down like the nuclear energy advocacy rabbit hole. And, you know, I was just following him on Twitter and his Substack and stuff like that. And reading more and more about it and kind of hearing um, arguments in favor of nuclear energy and, and why we, why we need it. And he actually doesn't even totally come at it from like a environmental standpoint. He actually comes at it more from like a labor and like society thing. He's like, we need reliable energy because like, you know, you you can't just have like, you know, whoever, whatever vulnerable population you're worried about, like they're more vulnerable if they, if they have a rolling black, you know, so the extent, so the extent that you're letting a grid like approach, or, or in become, you know, like, you know, where, uh, the, you know, there's not enough supply, like where, where the base load is not there. If you're letting that happen, then like, you know, all, all these Best people time. are, are yeah. totally vulnerable. You businesses can't operate that way. You know, hospitals have generators and stuff, but like, you know, if that, if that stops, whatever. So you need reliability, you need affordability. You know, if, if no one, I haven't heard anyone be like, oh man, my electric bill has gotten so much cheaper. <laughs> You know, exactly, like that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of like the fundamental heuristic, like until we hear people saying that it's like, well, I clearly we haven't figured this out, you yeah. know, and like currently what we're doing isn't, is, hasn't really solved the problem. And then, um, and then he really comes at it from kind of like a labor standpoint too, where he's like, you know, a lot of these are actually like, you know, he, that's, that's more of his background, but he's like, you know, a lot of these are really high paying good jobs in, you know, New York city is like, I was actually in New York city and they had rolling blackouts, like. Oh, I actually think that was before Indian Point closed. Yeah. And they, and like, I got this like phone notification being like, turn off the air conditioner or whatever. So it's like a heat wave. They're like, turn off the air conditioner. You know, some like <laughs> working class person who's just a good like, person Jesus. is like, yeah. I guess I'll turn, turn it off. And, and right. I don't want there to be rolling blackouts. And then like, meanwhile, you just know in Manhattan, there's just like some it's empty like, apartment, just like blasting like AC. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, um, yeah, so yeah, and then I, I guess like when they closed Indian Point, it just like destroyed like several towns. Like there's just all this like fallouts, and and then the and the big thing for people to to understand is that uh, building a new nuclear reactor is so much more difficult. Um, 
like just because of the like regulatory things and like the capital requirements and all this kind of stuff yeah. that comes up on the front end um that preserving our existing nuclear fleet is like absolutely <laughs> vital um so that's why people are so focused on that and then hopefully um it's actually interesting both the the um, trump administration and the biden administration are actually um for the most part like extremely pro pro nuclear um so so like it does seem like the tide might might start to change on that and then we also just saw that um in the uh the eu they have like a taxonomy of like essentially like I don't know exactly what it is, so this is this is maybe conflating it a bit, but kind of like what energy sources like qualify for like some sort of ESG type thing. Okay. So like essentially they had tons of investment available, uh, maybe it's through like pensions, um, tons of investment available for renewables, and they ended up kind of like underinvested in natural gas, um, which has like caused some problems. And then like also it's been difficult to maintain and expand like the nuclear fleet because like uh nuclear energy was not was also not classified and now both natural gas um based on from lobbying from germany um is now considered to be uh oh you know, green and environmentally yeah, friendly energy and and um thanks to france um nuclear energy is now considered to be a uh you know environmentally friendly uh low carbon source of energy so it's so it's interesting because so so like uh to some degree we'll you know we'll see kind of how this shakes out in Europe, but um, could could also be kind of positive for America in the same regard. But um, yeah, I just had a weird kind of uh, as far as getting into the actual policy stuff. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot of and I actually kind of came to it also through Bitcoin. Um, obviously, there's uh, concerns about Bitcoin's energy consumption, yeah. um, which I don't think is a good argument against Bitcoin. Also, it's not going to stop Bitcoin, so <laughs> it's not really worth arguing about. Um, once you understand Bitcoin, you'll understand why I just said that. But anyway, and, and anyway, there's lots of things you could read. I was reading Nick Carter about this. He's probably my one of my favorite um, Bitcoin, you know, analysts and uh, propagandists. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I wish I, I only wish I was as good as him. Um, but we, uh, I was, I was, uh, after reading, um, basically when I got to Austin, I didn't really know that many people. I knew some people through Twitter, yeah. and then I knew knew that i wanted to get involved in everything bitcoin here because there's so much so many companies yeah. and people and developers and all this stuff so uh i actually had like a linkedin um subscription that i had gotten on like an extreme discount during the pandemic so i was like i'm unemployed or like here's you can get it for like 20 bucks or yeah, something ridiculous so i was like i was like i mean if it gets me a job you know it's how all these like Worth rationales it, yeah. go yes um, exactly so uh I had like all the credits that they give you left. And I was like, you know what? I just got here. I'm going to lose them. So I was like, unsubscribe. I'm not paying to renew this thing. Yeah. Thank you for the cheap membership. Yeah. <laughs> and I just started, I just started cold messaging, like everyone who had Bitcoin in their profile in Austin, who seemed interesting. Um, and was just like, Hey, I just moved to Austin. Like I'm a Bitcoiner, you know, I'd love to, to meet any recommendations for meetups or things I should go to, or people yeah. I should meet. And uh, I got like a bunch of responses um, and they invited me to uh, this meetup. Um, yeah, they invited me to the, to this meetup that's like, you know, uh, at, from Unchained Capital that recurs regularly. It's pretty fun. It's like kind of a developer meetup, uh, which is, you know, people talking about all these like little technical developments um, that are way over my head. And I'm like, I kind of understand what's going on. And then there's a big barbecue afterward with drinks and that's more my speed. Um, so I went there and met a ton of people anyway, connected with all these Bitcoiners and then Emmett came to me 
and there's this group um, stand up for nuclear, which is doing like kind of like global um, pro nuclear advocacy. And he was like, hey, man, I'm working with stand up for nuclear on, on these uh, events that they're hosting. We need someone to kind of represent in Austin. And I know that you're interested in nuclear energy to retweet and, you know, share your own posts on this thing. Um, so I'm going to put you in a call. Basically, I just moved here. I had like no friends. I'm on this call with these organizers and they're like, um, so do you know anyone in nuclear? You know, basically they just, they just kind of wanted like, you know, to educate people yeah. and organize a little bit and then also get like kind of a photo op, be like, you know, in Texas, they care about this and Austin, they care about this. Um, and I was like, I think I know one guy, he's like a big, like Nixon guy. So he, <laughs> he likes nuclear energy because Nixon wanted to build a ton of it. And then I like thought about it a bit more. I was like, oh, I know all these Bitcoiners. So I actually yeah. ended up hosting a couple of meetups um, at the intersection of nuclear energy nice. and Bitcoin. And, um, and a lot of people were very interested in that. They were familiar with some of it. I learned a lot through the experience because some of the people were like, yeah, I like work in, you know, transmission. And they're explaining all these things to me that I didn't really know. Um, and then I actually, I, I wrote a Substack. Uh, I have a, I think I own nuclear Bitcoin fixes this dot Substack. Nice. Com. And I wrote, uh, I wrote a piece um, just kind of outlining the gist of like why Austin Bitcoiners should be in favor of nuclear energy and just kind of like making that case as succinctly, succinctly as I could, um, partially because I didn't want to like have to grab a microphone and like rant at people for like yeah. 20 minutes at, at the event I was having. Um, and then had the event, it was fine, got my photos, all that, met a lot of cool people. Um, and then like a week or two later, the president of FreeOp, the think tank that I'm working at, yeah. uh, DM me and was like, hey, like I run a think tank. Like I saw your piece that you wrote about nuclear energy and Bitcoin, like we should get lunch. Um, and then he offered uh, me a role nice. working part-time at the think tank. So, um, and right now I'm just very deep, um, like definitely, you know, trying to get all the fundamentals down on nuclear energy. Um, but also just trying to understand the energy market and in, in general and like how gotcha. the grid works. And I'll just say that energy is just an insane topic. It's so complicated and yeah. maddening. And based on everything I've learned right now, I'm 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 kind of radicalized. Um, but I think I, in that we definitely need nuclear energy, and we probably yeah. need all sorts of uh, like regulatory reform at the um, you know uh, nuclear regulatory commission, probably like lots of other bodies as well. Um, we, we shouldn't be living this way. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it could be so much better, right? It could be so much better. You know, it, and so, that, that's always optimistic, right? Yeah. Like it could always be better. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you know, people like you were working on it. So it gives me hope. Like, you know, it is possible uh, to fix some of these things. I, I'm curious. So, you know, I just won a big grant to help implement land value taxes. This is kind of like a, a majoritist. This is kind of like a, I can put a pin in this. Like, I don't know if you've heard of it, but land value yeah, tax. Yeah, no, no, I've, yeah. I read Radical Markets. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you're new to the policy game, but, but you know, what have you learned so far about, you know, actually changing like policy on the ground? And uh, have you found any big takeaways yet? I know you're, you're fresh to it, but. I'm pretty, I'm pretty fresh to it. I would say, I mean, from the inside, I've just seen like how, how much work goes into like connecting with people, you yeah. know, like really the like 
obviously you see the papers or the articles or whatever, but actually like the amount of like phone calls that are going on, yeah. relationship building, um, some of the like strategic kind of marketing that goes yeah. into it too. So um, I think that's something that's interesting. For example, um, Ovik Roy, the president, he wrote a um, very great piece about uh, Bitcoin and kind of like America's like current fiscal and monetary situation. Yeah. And he like went out of his way to get it published in, I think it's national affairs. I always get him confused, but like he got it post like published in this specific journal because that's the one that all these staffers read. Gotcha. Like, that's what and staffers he, like, do. Yeah. Yeah. And he like, he like planned that out like way ahead of time to make sure that it would launch like, you know, and it was kind of about inflation and it came out when everyone was talking about inflation, Yeah. but he had like, he had like laid the groundwork to get that in the journal like months earlier. So, so, you know, that's, that's like the, you know, maybe the tastiest thing I've gotten. And I, I'm sure he's fine with me saying that. Yeah. So it that's, just I'm takes sure that's a ton in, of work. That's just it, basic inside baseball kind of stuff, but right. Right. That makes interesting. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I have been impressed how important it is like getting in front of staffers seems to be like, you know, and how, how it's almost scary how much of a driver that is for a lot of policy just, just in general. Uh, this is kind of a weird anecdote, but it's related to nuclear energy and staffer. My mom, uh, brief after college, she kind of also randomly ended up working for uh, the senator of Oregon, um, Senator Hatfield, and uh, she, she tasked or he tasked her or like someone tasked her in the team uh, with doing research about nuclear energy at the time to decide whether or not he was in favor or against nuclear energy and my mom decided that he should be in favor of it so. nice <laughs> very cool runs in the family yeah must be, apparently must be genetic i love that, I love that. <laughs> um let's see so another left-hand turn you've written a book uh, are there are there any, you know if someone wants to go out they want to be a content creator you know you know are there any is there any general advice you would give you know in starting that journey yeah so so for writing a book specifically uh couple couple caveats one it's definitely tough two uh you're unlikely to make a lot of money selling a book um so so you know keep that in mind you will learn a lot though which is which is valuable um and i also kind of think there's there's multiple reasons but i think um you know writing a book is, is actually a pretty good project to do or at least one book it doesn't matter right like you know i wrote a book it's kind of over you know i talk about it I, I yeah. have the access to the material. I can do things with it in the future. Um, but like, I don't think about it all the time. It's just like, oh yeah, that's the thing I did once. Yeah. So, so if you're like worried, like, oh, is it going to be good or whatever? <laughs> like, I'm lucky that my book is good. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, but, <laughs> but I would say that like, if you're, if you're worried about it, like, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not going to define your whole future and gotcha. it's probably not going to pay you any money. And, and you'll be lucky if people read it and tell you they don't like it or even <laughs> just give you negative feedback. I want right. more negative feedback. If you listen to this podcast and you read my book and you give me a three-star review and tell me why it's kind of bad, but not that bad, I'll appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I would say I actually taught a course. I, I wrote my book as part of a cohort, um, partially uh, led by this, or in kind of collaboration with this professor, uh, Eric Coaster at, um, uh, which one is it, Georgetown University. And essentially he created a curriculum to help students to uh, write a manuscript to then oh, nice. you know, pub publish it um, through like some indie press or self-publish or whatever. Yeah. 
and he kind of created a, a toolkit for this. So I did, I wrote my book through a cohort that I like co-led um, at the University of Rochester at the incubator that I was working on. So I was kind of leading the cohort. I was like, well, if I'm going to help you do this, I need to also write a book. Yeah. And, um, and I actually was initially going to write a book about Bitcoin or not about Bitcoin, but about like not money uses of, of crypto back in a time when no one like people were talking about it but like compared to Much now smaller. like yeah. not at all um and i actually pivoted because i realized that i didn't understand it at like a depth like writing about technology is incredibly hard and i realized i didn't understand it at a at the appropriate level of analysis so i was like this book's gonna be trash so you know if you know that your book's gonna be trash maybe also don't publish it <laughs> but um but i um and uh but anyway, we kind of had like a, a, a formula where first you, uh, so, so the beginning is you just want to do research. You want to get exposed to a lot of information and ideas and, and you know, practice taking notes. So the, the kind of theory of this um, course or curriculum was like, okay, you're a young person. You think you're really interested in a specific thing. You want to get you know, a job working in this field that you're interested in, you know, you're so interested, you're going to write a book on it. So basically what you would do is you would start um, like, you know, generate a list of like people, you know, or people who are like kind of friendlies within your network, who then you can go and interview, you know, just come up with some basic questions. They're probably yeah. not that good. It doesn't matter. You know, call, call these people, ask them about this. People are probably not doing this. Also, if you're like, I'm a student, I'm writing a book about this thing. Can I interview you as like a expert? They're probably like, I'm not an expert, but sure. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to hear me ramble about <laughs> this thing I'm interested in. Um, and you'll learn some things that way. Those people might be able to make intros for you, but either way, you're kind of developing the skill set. Yeah. You get a little confidence. You learn more about what you're what you're writing or what you're planning on writing about. Um, and then a lot of times, those turn into to warm intros. And like people have like started this, like talking to like their uncle and like their mom's best friend's husband and like their brother's like, you know, dorm, you know, like freshman year roommate. And then like ended up talking to, you know, whatever, some like, you know, you're writing about, uh, you know, venture capital, something, something. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, talk, talking to Michael Gibson, you know? Yeah, so it's like exactly. these, these things happen like pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so I, uh, and so essentially that's like the beginning of it was kind of like you do this like kind of primary research via like interviewing people. And, and the goal there is that you want to uh, pull stories from, from people, because yeah. like, if you look at like the structure of most nonfiction books, yeah. it's like, here's, here's some like takeaway pieces. And then here's like a bunch of stories that kind of like beat the point into your head, which is actually gotcha. important. You know, like if you just listen to like, you know, I'm sure there are some, maybe some Blinkist fans here. I've never actually used it, but I think if you just like spam the like spark notes of books in your brain, it really doesn't do anything. You kind of need a like visceral story. Yeah. And like, maybe you could use Blinkist to like get the summaries and then you could like create your own stories to make it visceral. But either way, I think you kind of have to like engage the imagination to have like uh, a lasting thing or you know, better yet, like act on the thing, just be like, Oh, let's see if this is true. I'm going to apply it and see how it feels. Um, so those are, those are some of the things that I, that I learned. Um, oh, the other thing I would say is that, uh, 
beyond just general it being kind of tough um i i kind of felt like it was three different sprints that okay. are back to back to back um which uh yeah i, I don't need to say it but anyway yeah so it's kind of like three three sprints that are back to back back so it's like you know researching it's like maybe that's like kind of a warm-up like that's really not that bad yeah then drafting the manuscript is like especially with a deadline is definitely like very intensive um yeah. you know there, there was lots of uh you know late nights early mornings like lost sleep especially like those last couple weeks trying to get it done uh before you go to oktoberfest with your friends right you know so. like you you, you like um, oh did i lag out a little bit um but you uh, and then there's the sorry and then there's um editing is like kind of the second sprint which is you know it's own whole kind of thing and and that's where you like, i didn't really feel too stressed about anything yeah. until i was kind of in the editing thing it's like okay like whatever is here it's is going same. to be this in the it. book um and like that felt really heavy and it actually didn't it felt the heaviest after i had like press submit when i press submit on the on the book um and i and i you know maybe i had more time to like where i could have edited if i wanted to but i submitted it and i was just kind of like like i i, I like I was at a, I was in the Czech Republic. I wrote a lot of the book while I was traveling and I was in the Czech Republic and I like submitted the book from this like bar cafe thing. It was already mostly done. It was just like, I had to press the button there. Yeah. And then I like went and got like a beer and was like kind of celebrating and, and, you know, talking to people, having fun. And then I was like walking home and I was just like, is everyone going to hate me? You know, like that was, that was just kind of like my, my feeling. Cause like, you know, like, like I, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, even if you read it, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a good, good liberal. So like, I didn't say anything too bad, but it's just like, it's just like, you know, I have, I have my like heterodox takes in there or whatever. Like yeah. are people going to still like me after reading right, this. Right. Um, and then, and then the whole third sprint is, is selling. And my book got published in uh, December of 2019. And then I had the holidays and then it was kind of like, I was like getting, getting everything ready in January. Like I was like, all right, I'm going to be like working out and stuff. And like in January, I think I worked out like 20 out of 30 days of like January, 2020. I was like totally on my grind. And then, um, and then I, I was on Twitter at the time and I just started seeing like the, the early Balaji posts and like people talking about things. And then yeah. I got totally wrapped oh, no. in the coronavirus story. And like, little did I know, I would just be like down, like, like on and off again, like kind of down the like coronavirus, like rabbit hole for like the next two years. Anyway, I like that kind of sucked the wind out of my sails. I, I, I or, or my like desire to sell yeah. and like go out and do things. I was, you know, the beginning of the pandemic was definitely really kind of like uh, tough. Last year was also not very good. Feeling a lot better the last like six months, especially since moving to Austin and feeling very bullish on 2022 but um but you know i'd planned to go do like a college tour yeah and like all this kind of stuff and like i could i could have been like oh like let me do all these zoom talks and stuff like that right. and like you know as, as you and i know here right now like talking on zoom can be cool but i was just like i don't want to do that like i yeah. wanted like these schools to pay me to like show up and like right. for me to be you know lecturing in front of the class like you know being wild and then have some student come up to me afterward and be like, can I get dinner with you or something? And be like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. sure. Of course. I don't care. That's all I um, yeah. So that's what I wanted. So yeah, I never <laughs> did that, but um, maybe I will at some point. Uh, but I haven't, I haven't done that. So that, those are my, those are my takeaways. So just be mentally prepared for that. That I, I think 
considering them both kind of like I maybe they're marathons instead of sprints. That's that's probably the better thing. They're they're tough. They're they're long. It keeps going. Yeah, something like that. That that's just, that's the structure of the process. I think that's really helpful just to to think about and how each each piece. I think people often forget the third piece, right? You know, you, you got to actually go sell it. Um, it's very you know you got to have some distribution mechanism to really really make it work. Even then, you know, I I, I know Matt Iglesias was talking about it recently. You know, even his books don't sell that many copies. Like it can be it can be very difficult grind. Yeah, yeah. No, I um I did I did buy one billion Americans. So when Sorry, Matt listens to this, he, he knows <laughs> that I'm I'm one of one of the people who, who bought and read it. it I also read it. I didn't leave it as a well. review though. Oh but, man, yeah. oh man, bummer, bummer. Um, are you down for a round of overrated or underrated? Yeah, I'm totally I'm totally down. Awesome. Can awesome. I can I like can I caveat or or is it just oh, raw yeah, underrated? No, overrated? no, you can uh, you can give us a sentence, you can caveat, whatever you want. All right, all right, all right. Awesome. Uh overrated or underrated? Taleb. All right, I would still say that Taleb is underrated. I disagree with him on on a couple issues so far, um, and I think some of his students will succeed him. But I would say that he's uh, underrated in, in, to the extent that like not enough people uh, have accepted parts of his worldview. And I think if they if they do, it'll, they'll they'll be better off and will be better off. At the very least, uh, I find Taleb hilarious. I mean, just like, oh yeah, just straight up, you know, calling people BS. I love the books. And, the, the, the books. The books are, books are so incredible. Funny, so yeah. funny, and they're great. Yeah, 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 and, and they're they're not really reducible either. In a very in, in a way that very few books, you know, are past that criteria nowadays. I find. Yeah, I would say, I would say that right. Like uh, Taleb is actually the opposite of kind of the the pattern that I you know if you're if you're an undergraduate student or like someone who's still like me or whatever, you should probably write a book the way I said to. But if you want to write a great New York Times bestseller, you know, to, you got to figure out how to write something as as kind of uh, unique as what Taleb has, has put out there. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's no formula. No, no formula, no formula. That, that's a great point. Uh, that's the formula. The formula is there's no formula. Uh, the University of Rochester, overrated, underrated? I think it's I think it's hard for me to say. Um, it's like underrated to the extent that like I think I don't think most people have have heard of it. Um, and, and they should, cause it's like, you know, top 30 school or whatever, but like, should it be ranked higher? Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to know because I've been on the inside. So like when you're on the inside of any institution like this, yeah. you're kind of like, how does this thing actually work? Like, I'm kind of surprised that this thing is as good as it is from like the, the inner workings that I see. Um, but like all colleges and universities <laughs> might be like that. Right, right. So, maybe maybe like slight slightly underrated um underrated if you've never heard of it it's totally underrated to you you know get informed but awesome <laughs> i love that i love it um austin overrated or underrated uh totally overrated don't move here <laughs> stay away keep the rinse low <laughs> i'm a local now so <laughs> i love that i love that that's great uh, well grant uh thank you so much for taking the time to come on today you know where should we send people if they want to find your work uh, if you want to find my work, you should go to www.seekingtribe.com. Um, I also do post on Twitter at Grant Adever. Um, I'm currently uh, deactivated, but maybe by the time this comes out, I'll be online. But either way, you may or may not find me there. And then go to uh, Amazon or just Google Grant Dever. Honestly, just Google Grant Dever and you'll, you'll find everything that you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Thanks, Grant. Yep. Thank you, Will.
Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Narratives.